Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. My guest today is a returning guest, Troy Paddock, who was previously last year's, but here to talk about what led up to World War One, and he agreed to come back to talk about the second Christmas special of this podcast, and we're going to talk about the Christmas truths, of course, in 1914, which is one of the most significant, I think, in war history, events in war history, and what makes this event so eventful to put it that way significant of course the answer is obvious I mean but elaborate a little bit oh um well I I think what's remarkable about the truce is just how how potentially subversive it was I mean you had what was you know really um a front line um both figuratively and literally movement on the part of troops of both sides of the Western Front, um, thinking it wouldn't be a bad idea to take a break. And to me, I really, I find this fascinating that they are able to do this. And this is, I think, only possible on the Western Front, because you have this strip of land between the two sides that, you know, is universally referred to as no man's land. And this was, you know, literally neutral territory. You know, technically, at one point, it previously it had belonged to France or Belgium, but for the period of the war, um, neither side possesses it. And so this is a this is a space where the soldiers can talk to each other and not be combatants, and that both wanted to do so and were willing to do so. And what is maybe more important, were forced to stop by their superiors, is I think remarkable. And I think it shows you um, just how powerful this, you know, movement that is, you know, it, it's often treated as a nice little anecdote and side story, but I think it really has, the, it really was much more than that and much more dangerous. I mean, I, I want to ask, have it, is it, has it been over exaggerated or was it as we think it happened that, during that Christmas in nineteen fourteen? Why do I think it happened? No, do you think you know, do you think we are over exaggerating a little bit, maybe how it happened, or do you think it's we are pretty accurate and on the front? I think there's I think there's a pretty general consensus about what happened. I mean, nobody is gonna say this is how it happened, this is where it began. Mm. Um, you know, it appears, you know, by you know, most of the scholarship, and I'm not gonna stand here and tell you that I've read every single thing that's been written about the Christmas truce, because I haven't. Um, but what seems to be pretty clear is that um, there was a general interest on both sides to not fight on Christmas. And 
you know, depending on where you were, um, the, the version that I'm most familiar with is the one presented by Stanley Weintraub in his book about the Christmas truce. Um, but you have um, on one side, a German soldier you know, um, going out with a flag and his hands up. So, you know, showing that he's unarmed and someone from the other side comes out and they talk. And, you know, the, the first arrangement made is actually to agree to let some British come out and bury some of the dead that were in no man's land. Just, you know, give them a proper burial. So that was just, that was the original idea that they were allowed, not that it was going to be a whole like Christmas celebration. Oh, no, no. There, there, there was no plan for a party. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, you know, in the you know the original understanding was, you know, we'll we'll take some time and you know bury our dead, and that's happened in a number of places. Um, you know, to the best of my knowledge, this is never coordinated. Um, you know, there, there is never any kind of um, behind the front line coordination or approval of these endeavors. These are all single initiatives by various units. Mm-hmm. And they are able to do so. And what, you know, is striking to soldiers on both sides is you have instances where, you know, people from the other side, whether it's Germans helping the British or British helping the Germans, um, doing some digging and helping bury, you know, people that they may well have had a hand in killing, um, which is, you know, p- pretty remarkable. Yeah. Um, obviously, there would be some language barriers as well. So how did they handle there? There's some, but, um, you know, a lot of Germans ha- um, had sp- had some command of English because um, you had Germans who had spent time studying in England. Um, so, you know, the, the people who knew both and it tended to be more Germans than Brits um, were in, were sort of in high demand. Um, but, you know, communication was possible. And obviously, you know, they're not having big political or philosophical or cultural discussions. You know? mm-hmm. um, so you know, yeah, that would be a great idea. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, they're able to figure things out um, and. It is amazing, you know, that there appeared to be sort of a certain set of kind of unwritten ground rules, mm-hmm. you know, but as both sides sort of milled in no man's land, you know, the Germans didn't go too close to the British side, the British didn't go too close to the German side, you know, there was an understanding this wasn't meant, this wasn't a chance for reconnaissance, mm-hmm. you know, this wasn't the opportunity to sort of build up your, your defenses, you know, this was an opportunity to not shoot each other. So you, you, as you said, it started with letting buried the dead, and didn't, I assume the Germans did the same as well on their side. They buried their dead. Yes. So, uh, so when did this start? This kind of, like we said, talked about communicate and kind of. I assume shared a little bit of whiskey here and a little bit of. I assume that's what that's how it happened, right? That they shared a little bit out with with each other, or am I wrong here? No, that um, there are there's pretty good evidence. You know, both the British government and the German government, um, you know, were um, that's pretty, were, were aware of the imposition of having troops fighting for Christmas. You know, you, you might remember sort of you know the spirit of 1914 was you know this was going to be a really quick war. You know, we'll be home you know by Christmas. Um, well, Christmas mm. was coming and they weren't going to be there. You know, and there were some, you know, the British sent some, was it 
2.16 million Princess Mary boxes filled with goodies, you know, tobacco, alcohol, and sweets were shipped to British and Imperial troops. And in fact, apparently, according to Weintraub, for 24 hours, military deliveries were suspended so that some 335,000 tins could be brought directly to the front. Did the Germans have the same that they were shipped in then? Care as much on the German side about this. Yeah, no, no. Um, there were Weihnachtspakete as well from Germany, um, and that you know they they but both sides cared about this, and so you know there were exchanges of of treats as well, you know, on, on both sides. Mm. I want to ask: Have you seen that uh, commercial? I think it was a few, that was made a few years ago regarding the Christmas truce. Of uh, what do you think about that? You know, I, I think I saw it, but I don't have enough of a memory of it to, mm. to even pretend I can speak authoritatively mm. about Fair it. enough. I thought, I thought it was a lovely piece of uh, commercial, to be honest. And I, I, I enjoyed it. Yeah, I, you know, I think I remember seeing it, but I, I can't remember saying, wow, that's really good or wow, that's mm. really awful. So mm. I, I just, I don't remember. I'm sorry. So what happens next when the shipping arrives and... Uh, and they get the well, shipment, and, and you know, I want a little bit of continuation here. So, you know, sure. like, well, one of the things that happens is on the German side, you, they start putting up little Christmas trees on parapet, you know, so they they see Christmas tree, the British can see Christmas trees. Christmas tree was a German original, yeah, German Tannenbaum, tradition, yeah. Right? yeah. And so they have these little tiny trees put up. I guess there, there are a few lights, and the and the British can see these popping up randomly across. On the, on the German side and the Germans, you know, are singing Christmas carols and there's one that's, you know, instantly recognizable because silent night in German is still a Nacht. Mm. And, you know, you, they hear, they hear the Germans singing. And so, you know, this is, you know, it, it, this is as good a sign as any um, that, you know, maybe they're not all Huns and barbarians, you know, maybe these are people that can be talked to. And I think, you know, during 1914, that's still an option. Um, the war was dragging on longer than people had thought they would, and certainly longer than they wanted it to. But it was still new enough that people weren't entrenched, no pun intended there, in terms of their, you know, hostile attitudes towards the enemy. Yeah, so talked you know, about, as we talked about it in the last episode, I remember that saying, we're talking about how the Germans weren't necessarily, they're not like the Nazis, they weren't obviously the bad guys in world war one necessarily well you know according to british propaganda they were yeah and french propaganda you know the germans are huns the germans are huns. yeah but not now today we know they were not necessarily the the bad guys um not like world war ii where it's easy to say that obviously easy to say that nazis were definitely the bad guys and it was a bit more complicated than world war ii to put it that way um or actually, World War II is less complicated. The mm. Nazis are the bad guys. Mm. Um, so yeah, World War I is a little more complicated. Um, but it was, I think it was possible to see them, it was possible to see the Germans as, as people. Mm. And, you know, and by, by accounts, you know, they, the two sides were able to meet in various spots. So this, this didn't just happen in one place. This was just no. It, one it happens. It happens up and down the Western Front through France and Belgium. Hmm. You know, there are at least a half a dozen spots 
where something like this happened. So where, so at this point, what what was the German border like? As we thought, France, Belgium, but what in general, what was the German border like at this point in the war? I'm not sure I understand what you mean by the border. Like, uh, how far have they come? You know, with the empire reach. Oh, um, you know, not very far. I mean, are they clearly in French and Belgian territory? Yes, but you know, it's not like they're within shouting distance of Paris. Mm. Um, you know, it, it is still clearly Eastern France. Mm. So we thought, as we, and we, I want we to talk about more, obviously, but how I want to ask a kind of an end question as well. But what are, this never happened again? Why did this happen in like 1915, 1916 as well? And well, like, I, I like think... an annual tradition, tradition to put it that way. Um, I, I think there are a couple of reasons for it. One is that um, the authorities on both sides, the military authorities, made it quite clear that this kind of fraternization was not permitted and that it would be prosecuted. Um, you know, they, they forcibly put an end to what happened in 1914. So, you know, it's reasonably certain that they were going to be even more vigilant in 1915 and 1916 and after. Um, I think the other point is what I alluded to earlier. Um, you know, after four months of fighting or four and a half months of fighting, it might have been possible to see the other side as as human and maybe not all that different from from you or I. But after a, after, you know, close to a year and a half of fighting, it, it was much easier to see the enemy as something awful and evil. Mm. And so there was probably less desire to try to recreate that spirit than you had in 1914. Um, I recently saw a reference to a 1915 truce that I, I just didn't have time to follow up on to try to suggest mm. that there was something similar in 1915, but that was the first time I'd ever seen anything about it. So I don't wanna say nothing ever happened again, but it was certainly something that the military authorities on, both, on the British, French and German sides were all well aware of. And you even had, you know, in, in 1914, um, the British coming, the British, you know, sending message saying, you know, our, our commanding officer is coming and he's going to order us to fire, but we're going to shoot high. Don't worry about it. Mm. And the the Saxon troop on the other group on the other side said, "We're cycling out after tomorrow, and the Prussians are coming in. Go ahead and shoot them." <laughs> so, so did they play like ball games, and stuff? Did they? I also oh. thought about the drawing together, but did they play like? You know, I'm going to refer a little bit to the commercial here, but like, did they, there, did they play a, games? There's, or... a, there's a record of them playing soccer. There's at least one soccer game in the record, and it's 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 in one of the Bavarian military archives. I actually found something here. There was some, someone that shared that we're going to try to find it again. A newspaper article on on the Christmas trees of 1914. Let's see. Yeah, there's a photo here. I, I, don't know if I can't show you through the phone, but there is like Christmas trees at front. Story told. I don't know if you read this article. I'm gonna to try to zoom in on it so I can see if it what if I can read it. Little little bit of part of it, but it says a story told in letters from the trenches, Daily Mail, snowballs and joke with a foe. Is one of the headlines of the article. 
Okay, um, I you know I, I'm not familiar with the article, but I, you know, that's one of the the references that Weintraub makes in his book are to are, are to letters back that you know that refer to the truce. How did do we know what the soldiers thought about this? Like, yeah, as, obviously, from, as we mentioned, the letters, but like, what did what did they think about this when they realized that we maybe we can have peace just at least today, tonight, on Christmas? Um, you know, I, I would imagine they had to have been pretty happy about that. You know, the, these are people, you know, Christmas means something, you know, even mm-hmm. for the people who aren't necessarily religious, you know, it's a holiday that's firmly embedded in European culture. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the idea of, you know, and it's a holiday that's associated with family. So the fact that they're away from their family mm-hmm. on the holiday, but at least they don't have to worry about being shot at or having to shoot other people. You know, it had to, at the very least, have been a relief. I mean, nobody's going to be overjoyed at being in the front on Christmas. Yeah. Um, but at the very least, it had to have been a relief. Was there anyone who had a chance to get relief to go home on Christmas? Or was that a, not, not possible at all? Oh, um, I, I don't know for certain. You know, I, I, they, they would not have made special arrangements to allow people to go home for Christmas. You know, it, it is quite possible that people's, you know, time in, on the front had expired and they cycled back just in time for Christmas or, you know, maybe cycled back right after. Um, but, you know, certainly they're not going to make special, they're not going to make special arrangements for people to be home for Christmas because where do you draw the line? Yeah. That one... How the, did I generally get a, get light alone, or was it like it's just for one day? We're not gonna really care about this. Um, it lasts a couple of days, really, and and in, and at least in one spot, it lasts almost a week. Mm. But it, it but it lasts, you know, the twenty fifth and twenty sixth, and and in more than a few places, and that that's one of the reasons why you know, it reaches the back lines and you have officers coming down and making sure people start fighting again. Because if you, you know, think about it from a soldier's point of view who doesn't know why they're there, they just Mm. know that they're there. Um, Well, I don't have to fire at him for one day and he's not firing on me. The next day, he's not firing on me. I'm not going to fire on him. Mm. You know, there was a, you know, and this is going to sound a little flipper than I mean it, but it's also serious. You know, there's a danger of peace breaking out. Mm. And, you know, neither, neither government wanted that at that point. Mm. So what, would, what do you think would have happened if that peace would have broken out in because of the Christmas truce of 1914? What do you think? Oh, that, that, that's a great question. And to be honest, I how would the world look like today, to put it that way? Oh goodness, I, <laughs> I I am in no position to answer that question beyond sort of spitballing ideas. Mm. Um, you know, and that that's an excellent question. I I don't know. Um, you know, th- there is no reasonable way one could you know imagine that the French and Belgians would let the Germans take the land that they already had. So any peace would have to go back to sort of the pre-war borders mm. in the West. The East becomes a much more open question because 
Would we have called it a world war at that point, or would we just call it a European war, like the Thirty Years' War or Napoleonic Wars? Um, it still it still would have been a world war. Um, it would have been a shorter one. Mm. Um, but you know, remember they didn't call it World War One at that time either. They just called it the Great War. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, they didn't know there would be a second one. So yeah, but, but I, I mean, kind of similar question to previous question that I had. But was the morale kind of risen by this truce by among the soldiers on both sides? Um, yeah, I mean, it has to be a, at least a little bit of a morale boost. At the very least, you know, you you have peace for a couple of days. Mm. That's just that's just not a bad thing. Mm. Oh, uh, oh not, I don't know about that. Okay, okay, but yeah. Uh, so I, I just uh, I'm trying to think of something here. <laughs> so what, what about the generals? Well, do we know? Do we know how, how they felt about this? Like they have well, higher. It, well, you know, they're the ones who put a stop to it. Um, well, here's a here's a way to think about you know what what the peace meant. And um, I am sure you have seen and seen your fair share of World War I monuments. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you can go to Verdun, you can, you can go to any number of places to see, um, you know, to see monuments to the people who were are, who are killed in the war. Do you realize there's not a single state-approved monument for the Christmas truce? I haven't thought about that. How so? Um, well, Didn't... there isn't one. There just isn't one. There is one place, and let me see if I can find the reference really quick. There is one place that was set up in Belgium by a group of Englishmen who called themselves the Khaki Chums, erected the only known memorial to the Christmas truce in Belgium, and locals have tended to it and preserved it. Mm. Um, but there is no... There, there is no state monument for this or, or state, you know, commemoration of the Christmas truce. Hmm. I, I think that tells you something. Yeah. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, yeah, I don't know how much longer we can keep talking about this. It's, uh, but I don't know. I don't have too many questions to ask, to be honest. But thank you so much for coming. Thank you. It's been a, this has been a shorter episode. Than normally. That, that's okay. That, yes. That's our Christmas present to everyone yes. else. Yes. Shorter. <laughs> exactly. And now uh, you're welcome back anytime you would like to come come on. And before you go, do you have anything you wish to promote? Any social media you wish to share? No, I, I I'm terrible at self promotion and remain terrible at self promotion. Um. You know, for people, you know, for scholars who are interested, um, I edit a journal called Environment Space Place. And we're always looking for good articles. So if you've got them, you know, you can find the journal at the University of Minnesota Press and you can reach me through them. Hmm. Uh, Other than that, um, in a couple of days, it's Thanksgiving here in the United States. And then, you know, the holiday seasons are coming up. So I wish um, you and yours. This episode will, by the way, be out after Thanksgiving. Yes. No, I know. But I I wish everyone who's listening a, a peaceful and happy holiday.
Thank you very much for that. And uh, this has been the Bad Age 12. It's been a little bit shorter episode than normal today, but I hope that that's okay. We are available on social media under on Instagram under Well That Age 12, YouTube Well That Age 12. And we are available you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever you can find podcasts. Please consider us, consider rating us on iTunes. Give us five. We would appreciate a five-star rating if you really like this podcast. You don't have to, of course, but it would be highly appreciated. My name is Anand. This has been Mabatish Well, and I'll see you next time. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.